Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. I want to welcome everybody at our Tempe campus. Good morning to all of you. I want to welcome everybody joining us online. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. We'll get there about halfway through the message. Uh, this weekend, we're going to continue our series entitled The Real Jesus. And I kind of want to give you a heads up on how this message is going to go. The first two points are going to be a little more teachy-teach, and the last point is going to be more preachy-preach. And let me just say that there's a decent chance that there's a measure of conviction that comes with this message, okay? And just remember, okay, I feel like I have to say this as a disclaimer. I'm not mad, I'm not out to get anybody, I'm, I'm just supposed to deliver the mail. He's not mad, I, but I definitely sense preparing for this message, a call for more. And you're gonna see with the closing scripture, um, it, it's probably gonna be pretty hard to argue. Uh, and you're, it, it's not an argument with me. It just seems like there's something God is saying to his church, not just to ours, but to his church right now and I think there is a scripture uh, that really bears it out. So uh, I, I, before we jump into the message, I do want to submit something to you for prayer. Um, I do this every once in a while. I, I, before I say it, I just want to say I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. Uh, I'm just telling you that I feel it's possible that we're nearing the time for something. And uh, so I'm going to submit it to you by asking you to pray about it. Okay, I haven't even formally taken this to the elders yet. And the way I would describe it is, if, if my wife and I were going to buy a home, I would talk to my wife about it before I would go to the bank to get a loan, right? Okay, so what I'm doing, I'm bringing it to my family and saying, let's pray about this. If, if it's God, I want us to do it. If it's not, I don't wanna touch it. I think it might be time for us to consider buying a multifamily unit for single moms. And uh, I, I have, Holly and I have a growing concern in this part of uh, the country where real estate is skyrocketing, as is the cost of living. I understand that on paper, from an investment standpoint, it's never the best time to buy, it would seem, I'll say, it would seem that it's never the best time to purchase an asset in an explosive market. You always wait until a down market to pick up an asset. Typically, hopefully it's distressed and you get it for 60, 70 cents of the dollar, worst case. So I understand that from a business standpoint, but I would also say at the very same time as the cost of living here is getting more expensive, um, we have some people that come through our church that are in difficult situations from time to time and we have a responsibility and I feel it may be time for us. Number one, I feel like our church needs a project. We, we're, we've been on a very good run, quote unquote, uh, but I don't ever want things to be better in this house than they are out on the street and we need a project. We definitely need a new project, uh, but not just any project, whatever the Lord wants us to tackle. So I just, I'm, I'm asking you, will you pray about this? And I've already been asked after sharing this Thursday night, how do you want me to pray? Pray for God's timing, God's clarity, God's location, and God's people, the people that he wants us to minister to uh, for us to begin connecting with them. So can you pray about this over the next couple of weeks? I, I really kind of want to ask you over the next 30 days just to pray between now and the next elders meeting. Uh, would you just pray about it? You don't need to spend an hour every day. Just as you think about it, maybe even before a meal. Will you do that? Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, to the task at hand. The title of this message is Jesus the Rabbi. Jesus the Rabbi. In this series, if this is your first time here with us or joining us online, we've been talking about, in part, the Jewishness of Jesus, God's heart for Israel, uh, the, the Hebrew roots of our faith, and 
in doing that, we have to cover the fact that Jesus wasn't his rabbi. There, and for those of you who, who get weirded out when you hear words like that, that you don't use in the English language all the time, just relax. I'm going to give you a couple of points that put you at ease. I'm not teaching anything that's weird. This is the Bible, okay? So three very simple points. Title of the message is Jesus the Rabbi. Here's point number one. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. The word rabbi in Hebrew means teacher or master. It's rav, teacher or master. That's not a weird word. Jesus was and is a teacher. Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus is directly referred to or spoken to over 90 times? Did you know that 60 of those times, it's as teacher? Because you might be thinking, why, do, why does it even matter to me that Jesus is a teacher? It's a really big deal. If you're taking notes, write this one-liner down. If you don't see Jesus as the teacher, you'll be more inclined to be the follower of another. If you don't see Jesus as the teacher, here's an example. You'll see me as a teacher. I am one who teaches, but I'm not the teacher. Let's play this out a little bit further using social media as, a, as an example. I think what social media has done is genius in this way. They figured out that there's this word that's very important in relationship and it's the word follower. So you are a follower of everyone you choose to follow on social media. But here's what you have to remember. They didn't come up with that. Jesus had billions of followers before they ever stole the word. But I do need to remind you that anyone you are following, you are always learning from. This should cause you to step back in regards to who you're following on social media. Whether you realize it or not, you are learning from the people you follow. So here be my question. What are those you are following teaching you on social media? Are they teaching you how to always be argumentative? Are they teaching you how to disrespect your spouse publicly? Are they teaching you how to be more political than spiritual? Whether you realize it or not, if you're following someone, you are learning from that someone. Jesus was a teacher. This is why he had followers, and we're going to get more into that in point number two. But here's two things that, that we all need to kind of understand that are true of Jesus and really every rabbi that help us understand Jesus was, in fact, a rabbi. Here's the first one. Rabbis are recognized as rabbis. Don't you love how deep this message is so far? Rabbis are recognized as rabbis, especially, there's kind of a, an implication here, especially by other rabbis. Let me try and illustrate. Uh, if you and I played chess and you just crushed me and we happened to be at a party at my house where a couple other friends brought their chess boards and, and we were all playing and, and you played me first and you destroyed me. And one of our mutual friends comes over and says, so are you guys really good at chess? Here's what I would say. She's awesome at chess. He's awesome at chess. Like they are a great chess player. I'm horrible. Okay, here's what you need to remember. Just because someone who's horrible says you're awesome at something doesn't actually make you awesome at it. Here's how you would know you are actually a great chess player. If you went to the world championship and you played great chess players and they said of you, you're a great chess player. Do you see what I'm saying? To really, for it to be understood and welcomed as true, you can't be the only one saying it. And those who are horrible at whatever you're good at can't be the only one saying it. You have to have some peer recognition from others who are respected. 
Let me show you in scripture. Jesus had this very thing. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a rabbi. Now, I know some of you are thinking, okay, hold on just a second, Preston. This is pre-rabbinic period. And yes, it is. It's a couple decades before the rabbinic period. And so the term rabbi was was possibly not as formal as it is today, but it does not mean it had any less power or authority. Let me show you. Jesus was recognized as a rabbi by the Pharisees. Luke 19, verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Some of the Pharisees recognized Jesus as a rabbi. How about Nicodemus? Let me show you in John 3, verse 2. After dark one evening, Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, a couple verses later, Jesus refers to Nicodemus as, quote, teacher of the Jews. So this is like game respecting game. When Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi, And Jesus refers to Nicodemus as a teacher of the Jews. Okay, Jesus was recognized as being a teacher, a successful teacher among the people. But let me show you one more recognition of Jesus being a rabbi. It's probably my favorite, John 13, verse 13. Jesus himself said, you call me teacher. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. I love it when he talks like that. Jesus said, hey, hey, listen, everybody else is recognizing me as a rabbi. I just want you to understand, I also recognize myself as the rabbi, the teacher. You call me teacher, you are right to do that because that's what I am. Here's the second thing. Rabbis are recognized as having authority. To be a rabbi or recognized as a rabbi, you had to have what's called shmika, authority. In other words, you couldn't just love the text. You had to have some authority teaching the text. And let me just show you. This is something Jesus most certainly was widely recognized as having. There's one instance in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. After the Sermon on the Mount, Look what happens among the people. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed or blown away by his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Here's another way to say that. Jesus was recognized as having more authority than any of the other teachers of his day. He had an authority nobody else had. So when he cracked open the scripture, and we all kind of know the secret, why did he have more authority than everybody else? Because he wrote the thing. It's easy to have more authority than the ones quoting the thing when you're the one who wrote the thing. Jesus had more authority than any of the other teachers of his day and was recognized as such. Now, one of my favorite things about Matthew as a gospel writer, uh, compared to the other gospel writers, is Matthew seems to key in on Christ's authority as much or more than the other gospel writers. Matthew 7, he talks about the authority of his teaching. Uh, Matthew 8, he talks about the authority to heal the sick. Matthew 9, he talks about the authority to uh, forgive sins. Matthew 10, he talks about the authority over demons and over Satan. Okay, Authority is a very big deal, not just for the Son of God, but for any teacher. The people called rabbi, you had to have authority. This, this word, uh, they were amazed. I, I don't like the way that translation translates that. It literally means to blow one's mind, to literally overwhelm. The people had just sat through the most amazing and important sermon that would ever be preached in the history of humanity and their minds were blown. They were completely overwhelmed. They weren't just impressed because of the authority Jesus had to teach. They were literally overwhelmed emotionally, mentally, spiritually. They were blown away. 
Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. This is Jesus recognizing the authority he had. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay. Jesus recognized his mantle to teach. He recognized his authority. But remember, so did everybody else around. There were many who saw that Jesus had a measure of authority as a teacher that nobody else in his day had. Point number one, Jesus was a rabbi. Point number two, rabbis have disciples. Rabbis have disciples. If you're in Luke 6, let's read this together. I want to give you a quick progression and then talk through this word because I think too many believers disqualify themselves unnecessarily from being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you why. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a high mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Okay, now why am I referring to the 12 in this point on Rabbis Have Disciples? Why am I using Luke 6 instead of some of the other passages where Jesus ran into a couple people on a beach and said, come follow me, and they became his disciples? Here's why. Many look at the 12 as the original disciples. Those are the disciples. Few others can be disciples. Here's what we have to remember. The, the original 12 were chosen to be apostles. Now, remember this. All apostles are disciples, but not every disciple is an apostle. So the original 12 had a mantle of authority others, other disciples didn't have. Okay? Some of us look at the original 12 and go, I could never be like that. I didn't have proximity to Jesus. I, I, I just can't be a disciple. Therefore, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is important, but I believe there's a difference between being a follower of Christ and a disciple of Christ. The crowds following Jesus were filled with followers, but they weren't all operating as disciples. Luke chapter 10, I wanna show you the progression. So Luke 6, now if you're in Luke 6, flip over to Luke 10. There's a progression that I want to show you so that hopefully today, if you have for any reason disqualified yourself from being a disciple of Jesus and in your mind relegated yourself to merely being a follower of Jesus, I want to show you a progression. Luke 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers, laborers, into his fields. This word, workers or laborers, helps us understand the difference between followers and disciples. Followers know some things but don't necessarily do what they know. Disciples do. Followers know what God says. Disciples do what God says. Followers go to church 1.5 times every month. Disciples build the church every week of their lives. And I don't just mean the local church. I mean the capital C church. They build the church. Followers are content to follow Jesus. Disciples are not content unless they are a part of building his father's kingdom. Disciples follow rabbis. Jesus is a rabbi. Rabbis have disciples. Good teachers have lots of followers. 
Matthew 28, verse 18. This is an even wider part of the spectrum as it relates to disciples. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Okay, do you see the progression? 12, then 72. Now, Matthew 28, Jesus is saying, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. In other words, the plan from the beginning was not 12. The plan from the beginning was not 84. The plan from the beginning was a world filled with disciples, not just followers. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do with the authority that I've been giving, given that I am giving to you. Go and make disciples. Don't settle for believers. Don't settle for followers. Go and make disciples. That brings us to point number three, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you a disciple? Jesus was a rabbi. Scripture proves that out. Rabbis have disciples. But point number three, the question isn't, was Jesus a rabbi? The question is, are you a disciple? Just because you call Jesus teacher doesn't necessarily mean he calls you disciple. This is where things might get a little touchy. And I want to be very sweet and sensitive, okay? I'm submitting this to you. I'm not trying to slap you with it. Because this is just as much for me as it is for you. I'm going to give you three things. Because you might be thinking, of course I'm a disciple. Well, that, that may just be true to you because to you, there's no difference between a follower and a disciple. And yet we see time and time again, scripture even says, Jesus always spoke in parables with the crowds filled with followers. But then he would get away and explain everything to whom? His disciples. There was something different, even with Jesus, between followers and disciples. So if you're just kind of sitting there right now thinking, okay, well, how do I know if I'm a disciple? Let me give you a couple of things. This is, like always, not an exhaustive list, but here are three things that I think will help you really know whether or not you're living in this season of your life as a disciple or a follower. Here's the first thing. Disciples have an intimate relationship with their teacher. One of the ways you know you're a disciple is you have an intimate relationship with your teacher. This was obviously important to Jesus. John 14, verse 9. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Interesting that Jesus used the word know there. In the Old Testament, the word know was used to to point to physical intimacy. Jesus isn't talking about physical intimacy with Philip. He's talking about emotional intimacy due to relational proximity. Jesus is saying, hold on just a second. We've been close all this time and you still don't know at the deepest level who I am. Jesus is, I believe, helping us understand, listen, when you're close to me, you're gonna know me. You're gonna Deeply, in the deepest part of your being, you're going to know me. Why? Because disciples have intimate fellowship with their teacher. John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves. Because a master, okay, think about this. Remember, one of the meanings for the Hebrew word rav is master. So we read it in the Greek. But to them, the word was there before we read it in the Greek text. There were times they were saying, Rav, could have been meeting teacher, could have been meeting master. Jesus says, listen, I know there are times you call me master, but I need you to understand something. I no longer see you as slaves. I no longer see you like that. And he goes on because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. That's a word meaning intimate fellowship. 
You are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Okay, if you're taking notes, write this one liner down. Disciples literally attach themselves to their teacher. Disciples literally attach themselves to their teacher. I'll personalize this. One of my uh, greatest mentors, Pastor Robert, uh, this, this was a principle that I, I lived by early on. When he hired me, uh, offered me the job, I was 21. When I came on staff, I was 22. The church was small. And uh, from time to time, for years, I'd get asked in Dallas, how did you get to be the one that Pastor Robert kind of mentored from the beginning? And here's my answer all the time. I snuck my way in. I literally, when back in the day, he would be in the green room. There, there were seasons where he'd preach six live messages a weekend. And I would sneak into the green room and act like I'd been invited. <laughs> Unapologetically. Like I, I, uh, other people, famous people would come in and be like tiptoe. I would just walk in, go into the fridge and grab something and sit down like I was supposed to be there. Amen. And I just figured if he doesn't want me here, he'll kick me out. I literally attached myself to him. Why? This is what disciples do. They unapologetically grab on to the teacher and say, I love you so much, I'm not letting go. I want to know everything about you, and I want to know everything you know. But it's not just from an intellectual place. It's from a place of intimate fellowship. That leads us to the second way you know that you are a disciple. Disciples imitate their teacher. Dallas Willard says it like this, and if you don't know Dallas Willard, you should just get online. He went to be with the Lord several years ago, uh, but you, you should just do yourself a favor and the people you love, and you should just you should watch a few. It's, it's heavy. Uh, but you should just slowly work your way through uh, divine conspiracy. There's some phenomenal resources out there uh, that Dr. Willard authored. But he says it like this in regards to discipleship. He says one of the main responsibilities of a disciple is to be with the teacher in order to be like the teacher. To be with Jesus in order to be like Jesus. This is part of the teacher-disciple relationship, imitation. Paul clearly understood this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. He said, and you should imitate me. He's talking to those who were following him, those who were being discipled by him. You should follow me. You should imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. This is what disciples do. Maybe you've heard the saying, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, totally disagree with it. Totally disagree. Imitation is not the highest form of flattery. It's the highest form of discipleship. I, I, I was not trying to flatter Robert Morris by imitating him from time to time. Because I was being discipled, just naturally there were times I started to look more like him. It's the same with Jesus. Just think about this for a sec. Let, let's go back to social media for a minute. If one of the highest goals of every disciple is to be with Jesus in order to be more like Jesus, what percentage of the time do you think our followers on social media think we look just like Jesus when we post? You know what's funny about the devil? He takes good and godly things and cheapens them. For example, remember the old bracelet, WWJD? Matt talked about it in kind of the form of a joke a couple weeks ago. But the principle is profound. Isn't that how disciples should all think? If Jesus were me, 
what would he do in this moment? A disciple fully devoted to their teacher processes. What would the teacher do in this moment? What would my teacher do in this situation? What would the teacher say in this situation? Okay, here's another way just for accountability to kind of just do a, a little grading and testing in our own lives. Let's go back to social media. Is that how Jesus would have said it? Is that how Jesus would have corrected that person? Is that how Jesus would have made that point? See, here's one of the dangerous things about not seeing Jesus as a teacher. If you go that way for too long, you'll start to convince yourself you're the teacher. And one of the things I think that's going wrong with the church right now in regards to social media is we see a lot of teachers and not very many disciples. Everybody's talking like the expert. And yet we're all supposed to be submitted to the real expert. Disciples imitate their teachers. Jesus was fully aware of this. John 13, verse 14. Jesus says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, you're gonna be able to figure out what he has just done in this moment, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Listen to verse 15. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. That is so loaded right there. Jesus says, guys, do you see what I just did? I wasn't just doing that for you. I was doing that as an example for you. It's both and. So that you would have a pattern to follow with everyone else. Why? Because disciples imitate their teacher. You want some scary homework this week? Go to five people that you trust in your life who are close enough. Don't go to people who are far enough and are just gonna say something sweet without much fact to back it up. Go to five people who are close to you, who have enough interaction with you on a weekly basis to kind of be able to answer this question, not just give you perspective. Ask them this question. What percentage of the time do you think I look like Jesus? Take the average from the five and see what your grade is. Let me just remind you, 50%, at least in the school my children go to, is called an F. In Major League Baseball, it's called the greatest career of all time. But in school, it's called an F. Let me just sweetly submit this to you. If your average is a 50, this ain't baseball. This is school. Disciples aren't hitting balls. Disciples are taking tests. Don't just you be the one to answer the question, are you a disciple? Get the perspective of others. Get outside eyes. If I'm not imitating Jesus, it's difficult to make the case that I am living as one of his disciples. Disciples learn by imitating their teacher's lifestyle, not just by listening to their teacher. I remember one day, uh, one of the infamous lunches between Pastor Robert and myself. Uh, he took me to lunch, and, and I'll never forget, he said, uh, I've been listening to some of your messages, and I have a problem. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, uh, you're supposed to be one of my spiritual sons, right? That, that's kind of what everybody says. That's the way I feel. That's the way you feel, right? I said, yeah. He said, but when I listen to your sermons, I don't see any me. Now, at the time, I was an arrogant, ignorant, middle 20-something. 
And I remember what I thought. I was sitting there thinking, I've told him this, so this is not a surprise if he watches this. In my heart, I, I went, you arrogant teacher. I mean, that is arrogant. He's still talking, and I'm thinking these thoughts. And he goes on, and he says, but you know what's worse than that? Is when I watch you preach, I don't see any of you. I see you trying to be all these other people, imitating their style. Okay, here's what good teachers do. They, they don't just help you learn how to be like them. They help you figure out how God made you. This is what Jesus was so amazing at. It wasn't just about imitating him. He wasn't a created one. The one through whom everything was created was walking the face of the earth, connecting with people. Not just saying, hey, be more like me. It was also, let me help you understand some things about you, Peter. Okay, disciples have an infatuation, not with finding who they are. And that's really big right now. The goal is not to find who you are, to become your best self. That can get new agey really fast. The goal for us as disciples is to not become the real me. It's to become more like him. So here's another test. What percentage of the time are you looking to find how to be more of the real you quote unquote, and what percentage of the time are you trying to be more like Jesus? I think life would get a lot uh, easier to understand, not more simple to walk out, but easier to understand if we just made it about imitating Jesus instead of trying to find the real me. Here's the third thing. Disciples obey their teacher. Disciples obey their teacher. Obedience to God is the test of true faith in Christ. Believers know what God says. Followers know what God says. Disciples do what God says. If you're in Luke chapter six, let's read this passage together. This is a very important text, a very important passage of scripture. I believe in this day and time. Let's read it together. Luke six, verse 46, and we'll be done. Jesus says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you call me master when you never do what I ask you to do? Like you have the language down, but you don't have the response down. You have the language of righteousness figured out but you don't have the real response of righteousness, obedience. Why do you keep, think about this. He's literally saying, I don't care that you call me that because you don't actually live like you believe that. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, as though I'm supreme in your life when you never do what I ask? Verse 47, I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without any foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Now, for many years, I've heard this passage taught as though the subject of the passage is Jesus. In other words, the foundation is Jesus. That our lives were meant to be built upon Jesus. That's not the subject. It's not incorrect, but that's not the subject of this story Jesus is telling. The subject of the story is obedience to Christ. 
Jesus says, hey, listen, let me help you understand what it's like when someone hears my teaching and then follows it. Obedience. Here's what I say and does it. And then he goes on to paint this picture. It's like someone who builds a house on a strong foundation. And when the storms come, the house stands strong. But let me show you what it's like for someone who hears my teaching and does not obey it. It's like someone who builds a house on the sand. And when the storms come, the house collapses. Okay, I want to be really careful, sensitive, and sweet in handing you what I think the point of this passage is for us in this season of time on the earth. If we're to look at the last 12 months of life on this earth in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, is it fair to say we've gone through a storm? For some of us, this is the worst storm we've ever been through in our lifetime. When we look at the last 12 months of the storm, if we're to assess every life the way Jesus assessed these houses, what percentage of the houses collapsed? What percentage of the houses stood strong like a rock. See, I think one of the things the enemy has done over the last year is convinced a lot of believers that the reason their house collapsed during that storm was because they were weak. But it's just like the devil to try and deflect, get you distracted by something that isn't the actual point. The point of the storm wasn't to show you whether you're weak or strong. I believe the point of the storm was to show us what our homes were built upon. See, if we teach that text with Jesus being the subject, then we all walk away and just go, oh yeah, my life is built on Jesus. It's gonna be hard sometimes, not gonna be perfect. And it gets real ethereal real fast. But when we teach that text the way Jesus did, that the subject of that story, the whole point of the story was obedience to Christ. And if a house gets wobbly in a storm, the only reason is it points to something is off in the disciples' relationship with their teacher. Because this teacher is the cornerstone we sang about it today. This isn't, our teacher isn't the rock of Gibraltar. He is the cornerstone. The question is not, is Jesus a rabbi? We solved that in point number one. The question I believe the Holy Spirit is asking every one of us today is definitely not is Jesus the teacher, it's, are you one of his disciples? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. See, some of us just thought we could never be disciples because we thought we had to have a, a seminary degree or be handpicked by Jesus. But let me just remind you, if, if you're still sitting there going, yeah, but Jesus chose his disciples. President, you don't know my story. Jesus wouldn't choose me. Well, here's your homework if that's what you're feeling in this moment. Go study Ephesians chapter one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, made him Lord over all, you know what the Bible says? God chose you before the foundation of the earth. The question isn't, 
Does he desire for you to be a disciple? The question is, are you living as one? Can you imagine what would happen in the church today if there were more disciples in the pews than there are followers? Not just a gathering of people who believe in Jesus, but a gathering of people who are completely devoted to the building of God's kingdom, to the personal development in their own lives as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as one who imitates Jesus in all things. Can you imagine what would happen in your workplace if you look more like Jesus than like you? I get it, it's been a rough year. Some of us are more tired than we've ever been. But now is not the time for the church to vacation. Now is time for the church to take their place as the bride of Christ, filled with disciples of Jesus Christ. And we're just gonna take some time in this moment I want you just to listen to the Spirit of God in this moment. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? If the voice you're hearing is condemnation, let me remind you, that's not how God talks. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. You're horrible. You're bad. What's wrong with you? What's taken so long? That's not how God talks. Start off the conversation. If you dare to be so bold and courageous, start off your conversation with the Holy Spirit with this question. Holy Spirit, am I living as a disciple of Jesus right now? Let's just spend some time with him. And let's see what he does in this moment.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.